0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up for just the second time of his presidency, President Donald Trump addressed the nation from the Oval Office last night.
1: My fellow Americans, tonight I want to speak with you about our nation's unprecedented response to the coronavirus outbreak. That started in China and is now spreading throughout the world.
0: The president striking the right balance of raising the awareness of a serious threat, but the assurance of a measured response. Dr. Ben Carson, Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, joins me in just a moment. Also, Congressman Michael Burgess, a member of the House Doctors Caucus, will join us later with the latest from Capitol Hill on action related to the Coronavirus. And yesterday I spoke with Kentucky Congressman Thomas Massey about Governor Bashir, Andy Bashir, telling churches to close, but no other public gatherings. Pastor Aaron Harvey, senior pastor of one of the state's largest churches, is here with his thoughts. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter, it is at T Perkins. Also, uh, check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. A uh, piece today, uh, an op ed. Uh, opinion piece on the issue of Corona and how we ought to respond in the USA today. You can find that at TonyPerkins.com. Joining me now is the Secretary of Health and Human, I'm sorry, Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. Uh, I, 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 think immediately of, uh, the, the H, the Department of Health and Human Services because of his work. Uh, throughout his career in the healthcare care field, uh, but he is bringing health and happiness to uh, to HUD. Uh, Dr. Ben Carson, thanks so much for joining us.
2: So good to be with you today.
0: I, I want to get to uh, last week a hearing on uh, Capitol Hill in which, uh, you know, again, we have some folks on the ideological other side taking issue with some of the policies that you are taking to protect um, the rights of faith-based organizations and women and children uh, that utilize services that are um, assisted with by HUD. But first, I want to get your response to the president last night and just for the second time of his presidency, speaking to the nation from the Oval Office regarding the threat from the coronavirus.
2: Well, um, obviously, I'm I'm, I'm very happy that uh, the president uh, took the time to really explain the situation to the American people because, you know, a lot of fear is generated by uncertainty. And, uh, you know, we have come to learn quite a lot about this virus and how it behaves. And one of the things we've seen is that it, it has a relatively slow start, and then it has a very, very rapid uptick can go from, you know, dozens to hundreds to thousands uh, just almost uh, in a week's time. And uh, one of the things that seems to help is stopping the import of the pathogens. So that's why the president took this unprecedented uh, action of restricting traffic from the places that seem to be generating the most viral load right now, and that seems to be Europe. It is actually taken over from China as the place that is producing the most disease. So by stopping that, then we only have to deal with what we already have, as opposed to bringing in hundreds or thousands more people who can contact others every day.
0: Uh, Dr Carson I know you're part of the the task force that the vice president is uh, spearheading on the coronavirus the we've not yet seen the worst of it here in the united states as i understand that we're on that upward uh, track um probably a month or or 6 weeks uh, we're going to see this uh, as i'm hearing and we've had others on experts on the program talking about is this one where if you take the right precautions and obviously people are responding i think very seriously to this i mean the hand sanitizers the uh uh, you know, washing hands. If if we take those actions, uh, are are we are we going to see that stemming the spread of this? Is that is the average person, um, if they take the right precautions, and, and listen to the experts, uh, are they how how significant of a threat is it going to be to them?
2: Yeah. Well, if, if if we all begin to think differently, uh, it will definitely have an impact uh... will it will it keep it from getting worse no it's gonna get worse but you know maybe we can keep it from getting as bad as it would get and obviously if we can slow those numbers down and we have fewer and fewer contagious people and uh... and it will begin to die down so uh, everybody should feel that they have something they can do even the people who are young and healthy and certainly the data would seem to indicate that those people are not in great danger of of death but they might be completely asymptomatic but still they're a carrier and they can transmit it to someone else. And therefore, we all must take it very seriously and, and follow the guidelines that have been provided for everyone.
0: I, I want to play one more clip of the president's uh, speech last night because you've been, uh, I mean, you are recognized for your groundbreaking work in health care. Uh, you've been at the top. Of, uh, of, of, of the hierarchy of, of health care in this country. Play clip number two. Uh, this this was from is from last night's president's speech last night. this is
1: the most aggressive and comprehensive effort to confront a foreign virus in modern history. I am confident that by counting and continuing to take these tough measures, we will significantly reduce the threat to our citizens, and we will ultimately and expeditiously defeat this virus. Our team is the best anywhere in the world. At the very start of the outbreak, we instituted sweeping travel restrictions on China and put in place the first federally mandated quarantine in over 50 years. We declared a public health emergency and issued the highest level of travel warning on other countries as the virus spread its horrible infection.
0: You've been around, as I mentioned, healthcare for a long time. Have you ever seen a response uh, as intense, focused, and significant as this administration has responded to this healthcare
2: crisis? No, uh, this response has been incredibly fast, it's very, very dramatic, and I think it has already had a tremendous impact. And one of the reasons that that we haven't accelerated in the same way as some others have. But, you know, we don't want to rest on our laurels and and, and become, uh, you know, big-headed about this. You know, there's still a lot of danger, and, uh, you know, we are going to have to be very, very vigilant. And people have to recognize that it's going to be some short-term pain. But short-term pain for long-term gain, that's Mm -hmm. really the
0: well, it, it makes absolutely perfect sense, and I think the administration has been aggressive in responding to it. And a part of this is is common sense uh, on the path on the behalf of uh, the average citizen. And I, I want to go to the issue of common sense. I want to go back to uh, something I mentioned at the beginning uh, of the interview last week. Uh, you were before the um, uh, the House uh, Committee uh, on the House Appropriations Committee. And you got into, uh, actually, some members, uh, Democratic members came uh, questioning a policy that you have as the secretary of housing and urban development that is just says, look, we're not going to let transgendered individuals into um, female shelters. If a man says he's a woman, we're going to protect these women, oftentimes coming into these shelters uh, as battered women, they want to be protected. And I mean, this is common sense, but this has become an issue with some members of Congress.
2: Uh, It has, and and what I've said and continue to say is everybody has equal rights, but no one has extra rights. No one gets to trample on the rights of others, and uh, that's what we're trying to protect. So uh, there's an equal access rule, a law that was established in 2012, and it says that you can't discriminate against people on the basis of their uh, perceived agenda, or their LGBT status, and I don't have a problem with that. I don't want to discriminate against anybody. Right. I d- abhor discrimination, but at the same time, I don't want to say to a group of individuals, "It doesn't matter what happens to you," because this special group here, I have to take care of them. That's why we have a brain, so we can figure out how we can take care. Of everybody without trampling on the rights of any particular group and that's really what we try to emphasize and we want people to do things in a way that actually makes sense right there was an addition to the 2012 rule uh, in 2016 that said uh, even in gender specific shelters you must take the word of whoever comes in there even if their biological characteristics don't fit the description of the group that that shelter is uh, designed for. And uh, this is where we take a little issue here and we say we don't want to dictate from Washington, D.C. how a shelter which is gender-specific handles that situation. They. If they are male-specific, if they are female-specific, whatever specific they are, they get to decide who fits into that category based on the criteria that they have and based on what their state and local regulations are.
0: But this this also could, if if um, some members of Congress had their way, limit the access – uh, of, by by reducing the number of shelters out there, because bottom line, many of these shelters are faith based and they're going to operate according to, you know, a, a set of moral standards. And they also want to make sure that they're going to protect the women and children that are in there. And so they would basically be driven out of this ministry if they had to adhere to some of these rules.
2: Uh, they They would, in fact. And and that's one of the reasons that we want to push this. Back down to the state and local level, because when you do it that way, the people who actually live in that state and in that locality will have something to say about it at the ballot box.
0: Right, and this goes to and you can't, you don't have to respond to this, but but I want to state it because this is this is where this administration is defending religious freedom and the ability to live out and practice your faith and use. Uh, in your faith being a base to minister from, you, you are, and we're almost out of time, but I want to give you a chance to, because there's a project that you're working on, is to engage churches, faith-based organizations, to deal with homelessness in this country. So it's it's essential we protect religious freedom because we're trying to engage them in a deeper way to solve a very significant problem.
2: That's correct. Uh, A few days ago, we met with uh, a large number of pastors from all over the country. And we will actually be rolling out officially, very shortly, a challenge to all places of worship to adopt one homeless person or one homeless family with the goal of making them self-sufficient within a year. And uh, I've already seen some examples of it in different places around the country. It is absolutely magnificent because these congregations have a, a, a lot of expertise in them in lots of different areas. Yes. And uh, when they adopt a person or a family, uh, they're quickly able to find solutions that, are, that work and help to get these people into the right position. And, you know, what we have to recognize is... It's, isn't that one of the real responsibilities of churches? You know,
0: absolutely. If
2: you look at uh, James one twenty seven. It says, "Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this: to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world."
0: Doctor Carson, we're we're going to have to leave it there. We're out of time, but this is something we're going to want to talk about uh, more as you roll out that program. Thanks so much for joining us today.
2: Thank you. It's been
0: great being with you. All right, folks, don't go away. We're back with more on the other side of the brain.
3: In the U.S., the rate of chemical abortions is at an all-time high. This increase is being driven by the abortion industry, which wants abortion pills available through the pharmacy in the mail, making do-it-yourself abortions the future of the abortion industry. Abortion advocates once claimed that legal abortion would prevent back alley abortions, but the health complications that often result from chemical abortion are eerily similar to those of back alley abortions. For more information, visit frc.org/chemical-abortion.
4: China has become one of the most totalitarian states in human history. The Chinese Communist Party restricts religious practice and oppresses religious minorities on a sweeping scale, targeting those of every faith. The Chinese Communist Party's consistent abuses of human rights prove that it cannot be treated just like any other country. The United States must address these violations in their trade and diplomatic dealings with China. For more information about the human rights crisis in China, visit frc.org slash China.
5: What are you reading this winter? Looking for timely and original commentary on human dignity, marriage, and religious liberty? We've got you covered at FRCblog.com. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts, FRC staff, as well as outside contributors. Read about a wide variety of topics like crimes in the criminal state of China, how Game of Thrones mainstreamed sexual exploitation, transgender regret, the rise of the detransitioners, and many more. Stand for truth by staying informed at
0: FRCblog.com. What other trip to Israel can you take that combines walking where Jesus walked with meeting today's Israeli leaders? This is Tony Perkins, president of Family Research Council, inviting you to spend an incredible nine days in Israel with me, General Jerry Boykin, and former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman from June the 2nd through the 12th. You'll discover the roots of your faith and learn from experts about the geopolitical landscape of the region. For more information, visit TonyPerkins.com or call 844-872-5155. We
5: all need to be lectured sometimes
0: welcome back to Washington Watch I'm your host Tony Perkins following up uh, to our uh, discussion with Dr. Carson on the president's message last night to the nation I want to know what you think I've got a poll question for you today Did you find the president's address to the nation last night reassuring? I'd like to know what you think. Uh, Text radio to 53445. Radio to 53445. I'll have the results in the program. Again, the, the number to text, 53445. Text radio. We'll send you the poll. Take it. I'll give you the results at the end of the program. All right, yesterday, Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir urged churches to cancel their services to prevent the spread of the coronavirus. Now, such recommendation can have merit. And I want to talk more about that later, but only if it's applied to all such places where people congregate schools, sporting events, movie theaters. But those were not included in uh, Governor Bashir's call to close yesterday, and that's got some people uh, asking questions. Well, join me now to uh, to talk about his, how his church is addressing the spread of the virus. The senior pastor of Highview Baptist Church, Aaron Harvey. Pastor Harvey, welcome to Washington Watch.
6: Thank you, Tony. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.
0: Uh, You're absolutely welcome. I I saw your post uh, to your congregation saying that, you know, we're going to meet. I I think, and quite frankly, um, I'm inclined to say the same thing, especially in times of crisis. I think churches actually need to gather with wisdom. As you said, look, if you're sick, you're, uh, you know, you're maybe you're in one of these groups that you're more vulnerable. You know, stay home, watch online. But we need to come together. And I think it's important that the spiritual leaders, you know, have a sense of confidence that, you know, look, God is in control. That was your message. But but I want to ask you, this, how do you balance what the governor said yesterday with what you're going to do Sunday?
6: Well, it's it's actually been very, very difficult. But I will have to say, first and foremost, I appreciate a governor who's taking this seriously and who is looking, trying his best to look out for the best of the people. But we have uh, the head of the church, the Lord Jesus, and we are looking to our Lord for direction, we are called upon to exhibit faith, uh, and we are called upon in His Word, in Hebrews ten, to gather together in, in His name, and that is a demonstration of faith and trust. Uh, and I want to point our people to Jesus, and I want them to point Him, to point to him, them to Him, and put their trust in Him fully and completely. But we try to take into account all that's happening around us, and we don't want to put someone in jeopardy. Um, And so we are taking all of his recommendations seriously. But right now, we are putting our eyes on Jesus as much as we can in this.
0: Now, uh, Pastor Harvey, you you have one of, if not the largest Baptist church in the state. So it's a big church. You got a lot of people coming in Mm -hmm. there on on this weekend that will be gathered together. Uh, did, Did you find it a bit odd that the governor only singled out Churches. And now I think some of the schools are now closing, but he did not call for the schools to close, only churches.
6: Early on, schools are being asked to close as of right now, but it was peculiar. It was um, almost disheartening, a little bit disappointing to hear him single out houses of worship, as he termed it, but churches. And so it was really caught off guard. Uh, The question is, why? Uh, who advised him on this? Uh, so it seemed to come out of nowhere. Um, so we did; we took it personal for sure.
0: What do you think the role of the church is? Uh, in, and I'm talking about the body of Christ in mm-hmm. the time of uncertainty, the time of anxiety, and of crisis.
6: Man, it is a it's a source of hope. Uh, the Lord calls us together, and we can be a source of tremendous peace and comfort. Uh, The Lord inhabits the the praises of his people, uh, and there is God shows himself, reveals himself. We are called into a relationship with the Almighty King, and he shows up. Scripture is very clear. Even though we walk to a valley of shadow of death, we shall fear no evil. For why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So we are pointing to him and experiencing his presence.
0: Now, I, I want to go back to something you said earlier because I don't want people to, to misconstrue what you just said. Uh, you said we need to take all the recommendations, uh, you know, in mind. I, I think you're going to have everybody, uh, your hand sanitizer on site, encouraging people, you know, not to, uh, you know, and I know as Baptists we like to, to hug and, and uh, shake hands, so maybe it's uh, elbow rubs and, and, and things like that. But we're, we're taking the precautions, but we're not avoiding coming together to worship the Lord. And it's just I think in times of great uncertainty and anxiety, anxiety, it's, it's important that we come together uh, because, you know, we of all people, we can have confidence. You know what? We're going to make it through this. On the other side, it's going to be good no matter what.
6: Absolutely. I mean, we are going to be cautious, but at the end of the day, we're not going to allow fear to rule the day. We are called upon to live by faith, not by sight. And faith is trust and conviction that leads to action. And we're going to be wise about those actions, but we're going to lead to the action of gathering and lifting up and exalting the name of Jesus.
0: So, uh, Pastor Harvey, how has your congregation responded to, to to your decision?
6: Man, so far, it has been incredibly positive. Uh, I've received just so many encouraging notes. Um, our church it loves the Lord, and we want to gather together. And to me, this gathering is a tremendous demonstration of faith. I think we can make a tremendous statement of faith by gathering together and say, the Lord is in control. He has defeated sin and death, and our faith and our hope rests in Him and Him alone. And so I think it's a tremendous statement of faith.
0: Well, my, my prediction is it's going to be a phenomenal service. And I, I state that based upon confidence in the word of God, but also an experience in, in our church when I was pastoring after the flood that we went through in 2016. People say, well, you know, not meet. We 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 shouldn't meet. We met. Um, and in fact, some of the best services we ever had were in those times of, of crisis because people were looking for hope. They were looking for help. They were looking for comfort. And they find that in the presence of God.
6: I appreciate
0: that, Tony. All right, Pastor, great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us. And we'll be praying that not only your service, Pastor Harvey, but all of those across America experience the presence of God this weekend in a special way.
6: Thanks, Tony. Appreciate it.
0: All right. Pastor Aaron Harvey, Senior Pastor of Highview Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. All right, when we come back, Congress wrestling through solutions to the current crisis. The president last night said we should put uh, politics aside and address the crisis. Well, how's Congress doing with that? Congressman Michael Burgess, a member of the Doctors Caucus, is here next with an update from Capitol Hill. Don't go away. To Washington Watch, I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us on this uh, Thursday afternoon. Uh, again, if you want to take the poll question, uh, did you find the president's address to the nation last night reassuring? Text radio, the word radio, to 53445. All right, in his message last night, President Trump said, quote, we are all in this together. We must put politics aside, stop the partisanship, and unified together as one nation and one family, end quote. Well, the question is, was everyone listening? Uh, is Congress moving forward jointly, unified to address the current crisis? Joining me now to talk more about this is Congressman Mike, Michael Burgess. He represents uh, the 26th Congressional District of the Lone Star State. Dr. Burgess, welcome back to Washington Watch.
7: Hello, Tony Perkins. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it.
0: All right. I, I want to first uh, I want to get to the uh, I know you've been a part of some briefings. We were actually talking with you and your staff yesterday about coming on. Uh, how, how does the situation look, first off, in terms of the, the the spread of the virus and the containment?
7: Well, look, it's it's serious, but it's not hopeless and we're not helpless. There are things each and every one of us can do to to minimize our exposure and chances of catching this virus and we're all familiar with them the strict hand washing what now what we call social distancing we have seen a number of events and and large gatherings that have been uh, curtailed or cancelled and I think that is uh, that is by and large a good idea the um, certainly, you know, America is the engine of innovation in the world, and thank God for that. Uh, There will be a vaccine one day, which will get us past this. In the meantime, there is development, and I was speaking to some people this afternoon about the development of antiviral medications, which uh, are in progress. They're still a little ways away, not as far away as a vaccine, and that will help things. The Congress has an obligation to do some things to try to stabilize, yes, the economy, and yes, stabilize the National mood that has been so shaken by this illness but um, you know let's not forget we're Americans we've been through lots before uh, we've been tested before and, and we have come out we have emerged on the on the right side so that will happen again.
0: in terms of Congress addressing many of the issues the president brought up last night in his Oval Office address uh, are we close I understand that we're, we're close to an agreement that we may see a vote on a bill tonight.
7: Uh, we've been close to an agreement since 11 o'clock last night, so <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. These And this is the unfortunate thing. It, you know, Congress does its best work when we work in the daylight, when we hold hearings, we get subject matter right. experts in, we get right. testimony, uh, and we make our decisions based upon facts. This is anything but that. This was uh, something written in the Speaker's office, uh, delivered to us at 11.15 last night. We, uh, we're, I am a member of the Rules Committee, so... We did have a little testimony in the Rules Committee. We've not had a hearing in the Energy and Commerce Committee. We've not had an oversight hearing as to the issue of this testing and why it's why it's been delayed. So there are a number of, of open questions, and we're we're being asked to render judgments or opinions, really with, uh, without a great deal of knowledge. So that's unfortunate, and that's you know I lay that at the feet of the Speaker. That's not the President who's caused that. That's that's the Democratic leadership of the House of Representatives. You um, actually opened your broadcast with, uh, uh, I think, a, a call to text about whether, take a poll text as to whether or not you thought the president was uh, was on the mark last night. I, I do think he was. I thought he came forward with some very reasonable things that we ought to consider. Look, a payroll tax holiday uh, is... A little bit difficult. Uh, We've been through some of that before in the economic meltdown. Uh, the, The hard thing about that is it's always difficult to undo when you think it's time to undo it because, People feel like you're now raising taxes on them when you're reinstituting what was a tax. On the other hand, if you're going to get dollars into the hands of people who need them the most, uh, an income tax cut, when most people don't pay income taxes, an income tax cut is only going to have a marginal, a marginal effect. But everyone pay everyone who works pays the the FICA tax, the payroll taxes. So providing a holiday from that does indeed deliver deliver cash into the people who uh, who most need it the, the difficulty mm-hmm. is as you know the social security system medicare system are already running a deficit so that is uh, it, it compounds a future problem
0: right and one of my big concerns as you just described how this is being cobbled together is that oftentimes especially when nancy pelosi and her party are driving this that there are things that are stuck in these bills that are totally unrelated to the coronavirus response a lot of their pet social problems uh, uh, programs that are put in there and policies that could have serious implications
7: correct the uh... The lifetime guaranteed federal earning is, uh, of course, been a, a, a North Star of the Democrats for years. And this is something that they're trying to add on. This would not provide immediate relief. It would take the Social Security Administration uh, a, a half a year or a full year to work through that. So it wouldn't provide any immediate relief if someone's looking at providing uh, uh, some help for people who have to stay off of work. OK, but not the way they're doing it.
0: Yeah. Well, we appreciate you being up there and your expertise uh, coming into focus on on this issue. And we appreciate you for joining us this afternoon with an update.
7: Great. Thanks very much.
0: All right, Dr. Burgess, good to talk to you. Congressman uh, Michael Burgess, a doctor that's in Congress. He represents the 26th District of Texas. All right. Um, How should churches be responding to this? You know, does the government have um, the authority to say you should meet? Should we respond to that? Should we abide by that? We're going to talk about that next. Also, a little bit of hypocrisy from the media. I know that's surprising. Uh, I'm going to talk about that as well. More Washington Watch to come. Don't go away.
3: In the U.S., the rate of chemical abortions is at an all-time high. This increase is being driven by the abortion industry, which wants abortion pills available through the pharmacy in the mail, making do-it-yourself abortions the future of the abortion industry. Abortion advocates once claimed that legal abortion would prevent back-alley abortions, but the health complications that often result from chemical abortion are eerily similar to those of back-alley abortions. For more information, visit frc.org slash chemical abortion.
4: China has become one of the most totalitarian states in human history. The Chinese Communist Party restricts religious practice and oppresses religious minorities on a sweeping scale, targeting those of every faith. The Chinese Communist Party's consistent abuses of human rights prove that it cannot be treated just like any other country. The United States must address these violations in their trade and diplomatic dealings with China. For more information about the human rights crisis in China, visit frc.org China.
5: What are you reading this winter? Looking for timely and original commentary on human dignity, marriage, and religious liberty? We've got you covered at FRCblog.com. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts, FRC staff, as well as outside contributors. Read about a wide variety of topics like crimes in the criminal state of China, how Game of Thrones mainstreamed sexual exploitation, transgender regret the rise of the detransitioners and many more stand for truth by staying informed at frcblog.com
0: what other trip to israel can you take that combines walking where jesus walked with meeting today's israeli leaders This is Tony Perkins, president of Family Research Council, inviting you to spend an incredible nine days in Israel with me, General Jerry Boykin, and former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman from June the 2nd through the 12th. You'll discover the roots of your faith and learn from experts about the geopolitical landscape of the region. For more information, visit TonyPerkins.com or call 844-872-5155. You are listening to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So glad to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter, it is at TPerkins. All right, give you that uh, poll number again. If you'd like to take the poll question for today, did you find the president's address to the nation last night reassuring? Text to radio to 53445. That's 53445. Text the word radio. We'll send you the poll. All right, joining me now in uh, studio, Travis Weber, Vice President of Policy here at the Family Research Council. You can keep texting. I'm not going to go to you yet. And uh, David Clawson, you both of you on your phones here on radio. My goodness! Uh, before I bring them into the conversation, I um, I, I actually want to go back to the president's speech last night and the media's response to it. All right, I, I played this at the top of the program, but this is how the president opened his speech last night or his message to the American public. My fellow Americans, tonight I want to speak to you about our nation's unprecedented response to the coronavirus outbreak that started in China and is now spreading throughout the world. Um, Fact or fiction? Well, it's fact. It's exactly what happened. Now, here is CNN chief White House correspondent Jim Acosta talking to Chris Cuomo, about President's speech, the Pre- President Trump's speech from the Oval Office. Here, listen uh, to this clip. Clip one, please, Bob. The President referred to the coronavirus as a quote, foreign virus. That, I think, was interesting because, as I was talking to sources earlier this evening, one of the points that the President wanted to make tonight, wanted to get across to Americans, is that this virus did not start here, uh, but that they're dealing with it. Now, why the President would uh, go as far as to describe it as a foreign virus, that is something we'll also be asking questions about, but it it should be pointed out that Stephen Miller, uh, who is an immigration hardliner who advises the president, is uh, one of his top domestic policy advisors and speech writers, right. uh, was a driving force in writing this speech. And right. I think it's going, to smack, uh, it's going to come across to a lot of Americans as smacking of uh, xenophobia, uh, right. to use that kind of term in this speech. <laughs> it, it would be funny uh, if they were not so serious. I mean, they really believe this. At least that's what they're saying. Now, I I, 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 I quoted from the the opening of the president's speech. The, the reference that Acosta was making came a paragraph later where, where the president said, quote, this is the most aggressive and comprehensive effort to confront a foreign virus in modern history. I am confident that my... Ca- counting and continuing to take these tough measures, we will significantly reduce the threat to our citizens, and we will ultimately and expeditiously defeat this virus, In quote. Okay, so uh, Acosta has an issue because the president made reference to the fact that this was a foreign virus. It originated in China. No one is disputing that fact. In fact, I've got this compilation of media clips from other from left-wing journalists talking about the virus. Bobby, play clip number
3: two. At least six people have died from the Wuhan coronavirus. The Wuhan
5: coronavirus has now surpassed the 2003 SARS outbreak.
8: They're under quarantine out of concern that passengers and crew were exposed to the Wuhan coronavirus.
4: And this breaking news just into CNN. The official death toll from the Wuhan coronavirus in China's Hubei province has now risen to 780.
0: Having to deal with it, the total number of deaths from the Wuhan coronavirus has now surpassed the SARS outbreak. From 2002, 2003, uh, 2003. Spreading fast as the number of confirmed cases of the Wuhan
9: virus continue to surge.
2: We have new information about how the Wuhan coronavirus is spread. Good to have you with us. So we start with the Wuhan coronavirus spreading across China. Wuhan a coronavirus have now been confirmed
0: in all Chinese regions. So when when the media uses the Wuhan uh, or the Chinese coronavirus, it's news. When the president says that a virus that started in China or a foreign virus, that it's xenophobia. The hypocrisy of the media knows no end. All right, uh, join me now in studio. As I mentioned, Travis Weber, Vice President of Policy, uh, David Clawson, who is with our Christian Worldview and Biblical Studies uh, in here with us as well. Two different topics related to the coronavirus. But I I, I first want to go to you, Travis, because I was just talking with Congressman Burgess about the the bill that they've been working on since last night, and I, I made reference to this with him about how the left likes to stick things in here and you know one of the parties that has their hand in the bill trying to get something in it which we fully anticipated was planned parenthood
8: tony absolutely
0: and and it's quite reasonable you know we're looking at massive amounts of
8: money being uh, approved here for for spending by the by the american public uh, supposedly and,
0: and by the way the president originally very conservative in the amount of money you know based upon the threat he and congress was complaining it wasn't enough and so the reason they like a lot of money is because just what you're getting ready to say. It's hard to control.
8: It's hard to control, and pro abortion actors can try to divert the money to abortion, right? So the concern is that any bill would include funds that don't have a high, uh, explicit high protection saying that shall, shall not go to paying for abortions uh, included, and therefore the money can be diverted and used down the road. Uh, And it's available to expend it, so it can be transferred to other purposes. This is a quite reasonable concern, right? So you think everyone would see, okay, we're trying to address a a emergency, public health emergency. Let's be on the same team here. But you have Planned Parenthood action weighing in, claiming that Hyde concerns about public uh, money, our tax money, not going to abortion, which uh, Americans widely support. The concerns are are somehow a um, uh, uh, you know attack on abortion coverage. Uh, by people who are trying to make sure that we're not using an emergency public health bill to spend money for abortion, right? So think about this. Not only, uh, you know, don't they agree with the quite reasonable position that we're taking here, they're, they're attacking. The, right.
0: the. It's really kind of ridiculous. Which is, as you say, status quo. That's been the policy for 46 years, the Hyde Amendment. And but But kudos to the Republicans who are fighting for this and insisting that this be included in the funding bill.
8: Absolutely, Tony. Um, Planned Parenthood is out there trying to get their hand in the pie. Again, use our tax money to go and pr- promote and perform abortions. But this is the work, you know, that Family Research Council is here every day in D.C. defending life in uh, legislative uh, provisions. And we do have Republican leadership, Whip Scalise, Leader McCarthy, and others we know are, are making sure that these bad provisions don't get put in these bills. We'll wait and see. There's a, a rapidly developing process that we're staying on top of and monitoring and working to ensure that life and family are defended. Uh, there's other uh, the Democrats are going to insert other, uh, you know, uh, problematic provisions uh, for family and, and, and marriage and sexuality elsewhere in the bills. So we have to look at that too. But um, uh, this is something that, you know, we've, we've been tracking and monitoring and working on, Today, as the, the process develops, we know uh, there are ongoing talks with White House and um, House leadership as they look towards some sort of deal on this. When we're trying to deal with a, a health emergency right, right like this one, uh, we can't be meddling around with with people trying to insert abortion coverage into it. And so that's something we want to make sure happens.
0: Yeah, we always I mean, I you can count on that. It's like clockwork. Every time you've got one of these emergency bills, they're trying to get that stuff in there. Uh, David Clawson, I'm going to continue the conversation about uh, the coronavirus, but a little different angle. I want to go back to the discussion I had with Pastor Harvey about whether or not, you know, to close a church. Now, uh, the, the governor, Governor Bashir you know, urged churches, didn't require it. But the, the, the issue here was not so much that the government recommending the churches close i get that completely if in a health situation but it was only churches uh, if it's across the board i'm i'm for that I, mean, I, I think the government has the authority to quarantine so to speak the public when it comes to this for the
9: benefit of public safety yeah that's right tony there's a couple of things to think about this uh one you know first people might Ask, why are we even talking about this? The NBA, the NHL have suspended their seasons. I saw the NCAA has uh, said that they're going to cancel March Madness. Uh, Disney's closing their parks. So it just almost makes sense to say that, well, churches should cancel their services as, as well. But it's important, and uh, Pastor Harvey mentioned this, uh, to understand that the weekly gatherings for Christians are not optional. Uh, Hebrews, uh, he referenced Hebrews 10. I'll read the verse. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says this. Let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And that's just important to realize, you know, the ordinance of the church, baptism, the Lord's Supper, you can't do those by yourself. Uh, the New Testament describes uh, the church as Christ's body. We know that bodies can't exist long while they're separated. And so I think it's just important to realize that, you know, the gathering of local believers shouldn't ever be canceled on a whim. Um, But it is important. As Christians, we believe uh, that there's authority given to the church and authority given to the state. And Christians are called to honor the governing authorities. This is what it says in Romans chapter 13. So in a situation like we're facing with the coronavirus where there's a pressing public health situation, I think pastors in every congregation need to look at the facts, need to look at the circumstances facing their congregation, and and make a reasoned judgment, all while remembering to trust the Lord and to take this to him in prayer.
0: Yeah, Uh, I agree 100%. I think we need to – I was talking with some church officials Make sure you have hand sanitizer. Tell people not to shake hands. Keep the appropriate uh, distance, and um, you know. But if you can worship, don't don't panic. Don't. I, I think it's important, quite frankly. We've talked about this, that that the church Christians who. Are told to be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known unto God that we're not given a spirit of fear, uh, but of peace, love and a sound mind that we need to keep our heads about us in these times of crisis. I think people look to the church. In fact, my experience is in the midst of these crises, crises, hurricanes, floods. Uh, other natural disasters, that people do, in fact, look to the church uh, as a source of hope, a source of strength, and a source of help. And so we need to be prepared to do that uh, safely, uh, but we need to be able to do that. But if a government authority were to say no public meetings across the board, no public meetings over 50 people or whatever, I think, you know, and I'm not going to tell you know pastors have got to make their own decision, but if I were pastoring a church and a government official said that across the board, I would abide by that mm-hmm. because I think that they have the biblical they have the authority that is granted them by God uh, to to do that. My only issue with the one in Kentucky with Governor Bashir is that he
9: was only focused on churches. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, as as a Baptist, myself actually, and as Christians in general, we believe strongly in religious liberty. So normally it would be absolutely anathema for the state to tell the church to dictate whether it can meet or not. Um, in this situation, uh, we can prayerfully think about the recommendations the government's been making and probably go along with that. But for the newly elected governor of Kentucky... To single out churches, uh, and, and I think we've heard since then that chur- uh, schools there in Jefferson County and elsewhere in the Commonwealth of Virginia. But it was
0: subsequent to his call yesterday for churches, right, so and, and by the way, he also closed. He also canceled the prayer breakfast. Oh, the, the state's prayer breakfast. Those were the only two events that he he uh, said should be canceled. So,
9: so it is curious uh, that the, the, the governor would go out of his way to how targets a strong word, but to target churches and not say anything that would be, about other public be Frankly,
0: for me, that would be the last place. Because uh, there's also a practical implication for this. And I, again, I know this is a pastor that many people, only 5% on average of the, of the congregation tithes, meaning that they tithe off of their income and they're going to give. Most people just put some money in the plate. You know, the, the work of the church in the community missions around the world, practical help that it gives to the local community is driven by the offerings that come in every week. And if you don't meet, and again, I know this from experience, if you don't meet, you're not going to have an offering. And so you're going to have a, a hole in your budget. So these churches also have to consider that as well. It's not like the government where the money keeps rolling no matter what. Uh, you've got, if you're not meeting, you're not, uh, you're not able to have the resources you need to do the work that the church has been called to do. Main thing, though, is I believe the church needs to show confidence, um, not in themselves, but in the one we serve, in the one that we worship. In fact, I write about that as a, uh, an op-ed in the USA Today. today. Uh, in fact, I got it at the website. If you'd like to see it, uh, go to TonyPerkins.com. But I think we need to be prayerful, need to take action,
9: but we need to be uh, competent and, and not have fear. We don't need to act out of fear. That's well said, Tony. And as Christians, we have the categories of God's providence and God's sovereignty. And we worship the creator of the universe who holds everything and continues to sustain things in his hands. And this is an opportunity uh, for Christians to uh, obey the words of Paul in 1st Timothy 2, where he urges all of us to pray for those in government, those in high author- and positions of authority. And so this is an opportunity for us to pray for uh, that our leaders have wisdom right. and discernment facing Absolutely. this crisis.
0: Uh, Travis, I'm going to give you almost the last word.
9: Thanks. You
8: know, this is also an interesting religious liberty lesson. We think of where our law works. The government, for a compelling enough reason, can restrict religious claims. We may be approaching that in some instances, but it certainly cannot target churches That's and right. religious institutions. This, the Supreme Court has dealt with quite recently, there may be a religious freedom claim. If, if any government official is singling out religious institutions... Uh, there are significant, widespread, compelling reasons here which are emerging as a basis to restrict certain claims. This is actually a good lesson in the religious liberty law we often promote and talk about all the time, Tony.
0: Yeah. Travis, David, thanks so much for uh, joining me today. Thank thanks, you. Tony. And, folks, here's the results of our poll question today. Did you find the president's address to the nation last night reassuring? Ninety-one percent of you said yes, five percent said no, and four percent said Somewhat. Thank you so much for uh, participating in that. And thank you for listening to Washington Watch. Remember, lots of resources for you at the website, TonyPerkins.com. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything that you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing.